Welcome to episode 222 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught, their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished, their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 222 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here, Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. Jen, you know what 222 is? The number after 221? It's a palindrome. Oh, well, it is. Yeah, it is. It's also a nice number. I like repeating numbers. Me too. Well, how are things with you? They are great. I'm still at the beach. We had a, a whole week with my whole family here. There were Well, Chad didn't come. He doesn't like to come to the beach, apparently. <laughs> and neither of my children were here. All the, the 20-something kids were off living their lives. It was just the younger kids and... The adults, except for Chad, were all here. And we were here for a week, and it was great. Well, that's exciting. 
Yeah, we had really good family time. We hadn't taken a family beach trip, my brother Zach figured out, for 22 years. Wow. That's a long time. Yep. You put a picture on Instagram. So is that your brother? or Those are two of my brothers and my sister. There are four of us. Oh, okay. Because I was like, that's not Chad. Who is that? I'm so confused. <laughs> the one closest to me was my brother Zach and my sister Allison and then my other brother Ben. We're all in that photo. It was so much fun. We had a surprise engagement for one of my nieces. And at one time, let me see how many people there were on the beach. There were 27 people on the beach for that engagement, surprise engagement. Her boyfriend and his family and their best friends all surprised her right in front of our beach house. Like we said, we were going to do family photos. And so we all were there. And then surprise, there's her boyfriend with an engagement ring and all of their family and friends plus us. So there were a total of 27 of us on the beach and she had no idea. Oh my goodness. That's so fun. I love that. And that was right when we took that picture. It was so much fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. Anyway, this, you know, this might be the last trip we all take as a family. So even though Chad wasn't there and my kids weren't there and some of my, you know, one of my nieces, one of my nephews, because they're old and like not old enough to have time off work, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but too old to be a kid. So it's that in-between age. I guess they'll grow into the time when they can come. Exactly. But it was such a fun trip. So now I'm here by myself. I'm staying till Thursday. And right before we recorded, I went for a swim in the ocean. I would say all by myself, except the ocean is packed full of people. So I had to keep making sure I didn't like run into people <laughs> in the ocean. Back at the condo for this this week, our house is rented. And it was so sad to pack up from the house and come to the condo. I bet. I mean, I love the condo, but I love the house. It's so much more isolated, even though it's not isolated at all. The condo is like wall to wall. So, well, we can be grateful things opening up this summer. It is. I'm so grateful, exactly, and that everybody's here having such a good time. And yes, all those things. But I'm tired of eating out. Can I just tell you? So now I'm just eating at the condo. I'm eating things like avocados and tomatoes and raisin toast. And it's so nice to just be eating (laughs) plain, simple foods. I'm going to have a big spinach salad to open my window today. Very nice. So what's up with you? Actually, a few really important things or exciting things. I've been telling you this, but I'm really making forward progress. I think I'm going to produce a serapeptase supplement. Well, that's really fun. I'm learning so much about making a supplement, <laughs> like how the process works and everything. So I'm really excited. So listeners, stay tuned. Because you know, there's so many serapeptase. And for listeners who are not familiar, serapeptase is a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, which is obviously easy for many of our listeners, it goes into the bloodstream and breaks down residual proteins in your body. So those are things that can contribute to inflammation or allergies or, Jen, you took it originally for fibroids, right? I did. Yeah. A lot of people, brain fog is another thing. A lot of people just really find it to be a game changer. And I mean, I've taken it pretty much every day for years. And there's all this debate out there about which brand to use and potency and strength. And should you get enteric coated serapeptase or should you get enteric coated capsules? So I've been doing all of the research and I'm working with a pre-existing company that I really like 
I'm probably going to produce it with them. So stay tuned. Well, that's really fun. I know. (laughs) I am never going to make a supplement. Can I just say that? I know. I know. (laughs) If I ever do, that's a sign that I've been kidnapped. Come and look for me. Yeah, that's so funny. I didn't think I ever would. I think something like this would be appropriate. I realized maybe it would be appropriate to make the supplements that I personally take every day. Like I might as well make my own version. With this one, not only do you take it every day, but you haven't found a company that you really, really trust with it. Right, exactly. That's the difference. Yeah. And then listeners just ask all the time. And people ask my Facebook group, like, which brand? I was like, I just need to have my own. So that's one exciting thing. We're still figuring out all the details, but what we're probably going to do just to tease it now is have, you know, the launch date, but we'll probably do a special pre-order, like a pre-order setup where where you'll get it at a really discounted price. So stay tuned. I will have more details about that. Very cool. What else? You said there were lots of things. Is it just two? The second thing is I released this week on Friday, last Friday, this past Friday, the episode with Dr. Robert Lustig for that metabolical book. Oh my goodness, Jen. Have you read it yet? I haven't. I'm reading some fiction right now. I'm reading this trilogy of fiction that's really long by Ken Follett. If there are any Ken Follett readers out there, they know what I'm talking about. What genre? Fiction? What, like fantasy? Historical fiction. The trilogy I'm reading now is like World War One, and now I'm in World War Two. And then I haven't read the, the third one is, I guess, post-World War II. Nice. <laughs> I, I've not read any of that stuff. Yeah, I don't read fantasy. I know. I said that, and I was like, wait, she's not reading fantasy. No, I don't, I don't like fantasy. I was like, this is Jen. I don't even know what books you like, but I know you probably are not reading fantasy. No, I like realistic fiction a lot. But it's been so long since I read. Like, I'm almost embarrassed to, like— it's been a long, long time since I read fiction. Yeah, me too. But I'm really enjoying it. Me too. Well, when you come back to the nonfiction world, I still think you would love Metabolical. Especially, it just really lines up with with your new book so much. But I have an update about it. So the episode has been so, so popular. I've been sort of blown away. Which I, I mean, I anticipated that. I mean, I was supposed to release this episode way later, like in the fall, but I was so excited about it that I bumped it up <laughs> to now. But Dr. Lustig in the episode talks about, I don't know if he owns the company. Okay, so it's called BioLumen. And he's basically making a supplement, but it's all food compounds. So it's technically considered food. And the way it works, is in their early studies, they've shown that it inhibits 35% of sugar load. Well, of, I guess, any sugar. So the ingredients in it sequester sugars and starches in the gut, and it makes them so that they're not immediately absorbed higher up and instead release further down in the intestine. It goes with his, his whole thing of, quote, protecting the liver and feeding the gut. And he's doing, so they're still doing trials on it and studies. So They're looking for listeners who use a CGM who would like to be involved in his studies and his trial. And he mentioned it in the the episode, but I didn't have the information then. So now I have the information. So if anybody wants to do this to qualify, you have to routinely use an Abbott Freestyle Libra CGM. If you use a Dexcom, you can also participate, but you'd have to 
be able to send screenshots of your data. Or for our listeners who are doing NutriSense and Levels, he didn't talk about this and the information that he gave me, but that, what did those use? I think those use the freestyle. Those should work because you can send screenshots of the data. You also can't have diabetes, but it's okay if you have prediabetes. And you can't be taking glucose-lowering medications, including insulin. And you obviously have to be willing to share your CGM. But if you'd like to participate, and if you participate, they'll send you these capsules. And then I have all the instructions. But basically, you'll be taking them in conjunction with your food. You'll have your readings. And it also, you will be compensated a little bit for it as well. So if you'd like to do this, just contact Dr. Lustig directly. So his email is rlustigmd at gmail.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And this is really exciting. It says that he'll email you back, or if you prefer, if you include your name and phone number, he will call you directly. (laughs) So (laughs) that's very cool. I was excited when he sent me this because I was like, well, we have a big audience and a lot of our audience is wearing CGMs. So if anybody's interested, this could be a fun little thing to do. I wonder if he's going to be surprised. I know. (laughs) That has definitely happened by (laughs) when I've interviewed people on intermittent fasting stories and then they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) That many people. Yeah. He just sent me this email this morning, and then I just emailed back and was like, yeah, I'll mention it on our podcast, so we shall see. That's really cool that he'll call you, though. I had other things, but I can save it for next week. Well, those are some exciting things. Yeah. Shall we get started with the feedback? Yes. Mm -hmm. This is from Madeline, and the subject is fasting during triathlons. She says, hello, ladies. I have been listening to your podcast from the start and truly believe this is the best healthy way of longevity. Thank you for all you do. You ladies are fun to listen to and full of great knowledge. I don't have a question, but just to share an experience I've had with IF in the course of my life, as per your request from episode 218. A little about myself. I am a retired RN and a personal trainer from Ontario, Canada. Hello from the North. I, too, like Jen, once weighed 216 pounds 25 years ago, 1996, and have kept it off. I don't, just a little side note from me, 210 is the highest number I saw on the scale, but, I mean, it was probably 216 when I was on that cruise, (laughs) because I wasn't weighing. Oh, wow, yeah. And she says, I have kept it off. I basically lost it doing the IF style of living, however, it wasn't recognized clearly back then. I did, however, do dirty fasts, i.e. my coffee. That has changed now, especially as I know better, thanks to you gals. Had to adjust it for menopause. After my huge weight loss, I had lots of energy that encouraged my performance as a triathlete. Over the course of 10 years, 2000 to 2010, I competed in multiple road races and triathlons, placing first for my age group. During that time, I often was accused of taking some drug to give me such energy slash speed to perform, LOL. It wasn't any drug, it was just IF, and I was in my fasted state, which I performed my best run, 5K, 24.3K bike, and 5K swim, and placed first every single time. I have a collection of medals on my wall. I don't race anymore as I train people to optimize their health to be their best. Thank you once again. All the best, Madeline. Awesome. 
Well, this was really, really amazing to hear because I remember when we discussed this on the earlier episode that we can put a link to. And again, Jen and I, like we can research the science and we can share anecdotal stories kind of like Madeline's, but we we don't have any. <laughs> well, Jen, have you ever run a marathon? Oh, Lord, no. Is that a joke? <laughs> I did not want to presume that joke that if you ever see me running, you better start running too. Have you ever seen that? Because something's chasing me. Wait, that's so funny. You know, I'm not a runner. I had so much fun playing in the ocean today. That's what I like to do. Anything that is just fun and feels like, doesn't feel like you're exercising. Like I jumped up and down a million times and the waves were knocking me over. And I like to exercise like a kid playing. Yes, me too. Me too. So it's nice to hear from people who actually have done this. And it's crazy that she's a a triathlete as well. I love it. Yeah. And I know people love to do that kind of thing. And I admire them for loving it. I just don't. And this is what we talked about last time. But I do want to iterate (laughs) that this still like, you know, likely requires a lot of training in the fasted state to do this in the fasted state. It's not something you want to just jump into willy nilly, which actually our next question, I think, speaks to a little bit, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. We got another question or another feedback. And this is from Marcella, Madeline and Marcella. She says, hello, ladies. I just finished listening to podcast 218. So that same episode. And she says, I have to write. I have run marathons fasted. I am an ex-smoker. Regarding, oh, we also talked about smoking in that episode. She said, regarding running fasted, you definitely need to train your body. So this is Melanie talking. That's what I was just talking about. She says, I will never forget listening to, quote, real runners telling me I was crazy doing it, but really I am 60 years old and I have been working out since I was 13 years old. And back in the 70s, you shouldn't eat or drink when working out. That's true. I think things were different. This whole idea of, you know, the pre-workouts and fueling up and eating all the time, this is new. They were on to something back then. (laughs) She says, now I do drink water if working out more than one hour. Since I turned 50 years old, I have run 12 half marathons and two full ones. Always fasted, black coffee only, before the race, water during the race. Before I read her next part. So that's great. So that's two people reporting back that they run marathons fasted, but like Marcella pointed out, definitely something to train for. I'm so motivated now. She's done so many marathons. Are you going to do one? No. (laughs) Well, then what are you motivated to do? (laughs) Inspired? Is that a better word? I'm motivated not to run a marathon, but I'm motivated about energetically active activities. Okay. That makes sense. You know? I was actually reading, rereading, I reread Dr. Walter Longo's book, The Longevity Diet, because I'm going to interview him. And he was talking about this at the beginning, about the different ages that people are during certain things. And he he was saying how, you know, a lot of the best marathoners are, I don't remember the age range he gave. Is it like mid or late 30s? I don't know. That was also motivating. And then Marcella says, regarding the ex-smoker question, I am also an ex-smoker over 10 years. When you smoke, you smoke when hungry. That is why smokers are thin. When quitting, it's important not to replace cigarettes with food. Try to replace them with some hobby. Cigarettes keep your metabolism higher 
because you have to breathe more times than a regular non-smoker. I've never heard that before. Well, think about it because you, you need oxygen. So it does make sense that you would be breathing more times because you're breathing in the smoke and not the oxygen and you have to breathe to get the oxygen. So it must be that. Plus, I know nicotine as well has an effect. So I'm guessing it's a synergistic thing. She says an easy fix is increase your activities, walk, run, do something with your body. Thank you for sharing all what you know. Love listening to all of your podcasts. When these questions come in, I read them and then I ask our assistant to put them either in our prep document or, you know, if we're going to read them. And so our assistant, Sharon, she wanted to add in after reading this question, she said, I would like to add that I'm an ex-smoker. When I quit, I vowed that every time I wanted a cigarette, I would chug two cups of water. It filled my stomach, cracking down on the hunger issue and gave me that hand-to-mouth replacement habit that smokers need. I always had a bottle of water with me everywhere I went. I also added one half hour of exercise every day, even if it was just a simple walk. I never gained a pound, not one. I have helped several people in my health coaching practice to quit smoking. And the one book I recommend is Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. It changed my life, as it has many others, including quite a few celebrities, including Ellen DeGeneres. I think he wrote one about drinking as well, The Easy Way to Stop Drinking. I I feel like he did. Oh, very cool. So, again, for listeners, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. But I'm not smoking, but I find that motivating, too, for, you know, any habit. I'm just pondering the meaning of the word motivating now. Like, does motivating have to motivate you to do the thing that it's talking about? I don't know. You said you were motivated before, and so it made me feel like you were motivated to run. You can be motivated to do something else. It doesn't have to be the same exact thing. I was just trying to understand what you were motivated to do. Because, you know, if you're going to not run a marathon, I'd like to see that. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do it, so I get it. I'm motivated to go play in the ocean some more. How's that? That's great. I've started using more and more that X3 system, the resistant bands, the John Jaquish. I'm very impressed. I watch the videos online, but I've been a bit casual in my approach. I'm kind of just like pulling the bands and doing the thing. And I should probably sit down and do the concentrated exercise, but I'm seeing like massive improvements just from doing it for a few minutes. I'm very much in shock. Wow. That's great. I need to maybe do something like that. I would do that. Let me like do it for real. Like actually watch the videos and do it and report back. I want to have done it by the time I release his episode. I'm very, very impressed. So for listeners, what I'm talking about, the link is melanieavalon.com slash X3. And I think the coupon code Melanie Avalon, I think will give you a discount. I'll check on that and put the right code in the show notes if it's not that. But yeah, any other thoughts about the the smoking, the weight, the running? I mean, just a disclaimer to say, please don't start smoking to lose weight. Oh, yes. That's all. <laughs> you know, because she, she mentioned how, Marcella mentioned how, you know, that's why smokers are thin. That would not be the, the thing to do. I'll actually put, I will put a link in the show notes. Dr. Peter Atia recently released a really good episode on nicotine that was very interesting. I'll put a link if people want to learn more. 
Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40% lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body, it is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. All right. So we have a question from Jenny and the subject is interesting article. And she says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I just found an interesting article, very much the opposite of what you're preaching. The article that Jenny shared, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's called The Damaging Double Standard Behind Intermittent Fasting. And yes, it just came out. And then, of course, anytime anything like that comes out, a million people send it to me. (laughs) Do they send it to you too? Do a lot of other people send it to you? Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, yeah. People send me things all the time. They're like, have you seen this? I'm like, yes, a hundred times. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, I guess if no one sent it to me, I would see it zero times. So 
it's better to see it a hundred times than zero times, right? So anyway, so she said, I love to listen to your podcast, and I'm doing IF for over a year on and off. I work in hotels and restaurants, and my shifts are always changing, so it's very hard to keep a daily routine. My sister-in-law is a doctor and all about fasting and how it's benefiting people with bad health conditions. I think her handle is hashtag the Dr. Aaron on Instagram. She is all about changing healthcare with focusing on the whole body and not just giving people prescription drugs. I'm originally from Germany and live in Alaska for a little over two and a half years. It's such a fun place. Everyone needs to visit. I met my now husband the first day I visited Alaska as a tourist in 2016. He showed me the Northern Lights and, well, the rest is history. Keep up the good work. It's really fun to listen to you guys. Jenny. So again, so we'll put a link in the show notes to this article, and the article is The Damaging Double Standard Behind Intermittent Fasting, and basically it talks about Jack Dorsey, who practices intermittent fasting, eating, I'm sorry, I just, it kills me because when I hear his interviews, he eats the same thing that I eat, but he does basically a one meal a day approach with protein, greens, and mixed berries, and then the bulk of the article is about how with different dietary approaches, and they list a lot of other things as well, not just intermittent fasting. So like when Gwyneth Paltrow did a 300 calorie a day detox, Nicole Ritchie talking about her diet of sunflower seeds, celery juice, and chewing gum. They talk about today's shows. I'm going to backtrack a little. I really want to encourage listeners to have a very discerning eye when reading articles and how things are portrayed and subtly put together to create certain implications. So for example, in this article, they list these different diets. So they list like Gwyneth Paltrow doing 300 calories a day in January, Nicole Ritchie eating sunflower seeds, celery juice, and chewing gum. Then right after that, they list the Today Show hosts who weighed themselves on live television after spending a week eating only between 10 and 6. So the first two are extremely restrictive things. Extremely restrictive. I mean, not even slightly restrictive. Like, no questions asked restrictive. And then the next thing they list is an intermittent fasting example. But because you have in your head the two prior examples of crazy diets... That's what your brain is set up for, and you're automatically prescribing that to intermittent fasting, which eating from 10 to 6, which is an 8-hour window, so that's a 16-8 approach. In my opinion, again, this is all my opinion, just as a concept, that is nowhere near eating 300 calories a day <laughs> or, eating, or eating sunflower seeds, celery juice, and chewing gum. So that's an example, I think, of how intermittent fasting can be portrayed in the media. Like they're equating it to other restrictive things when it is not necessarily that. And the reason I say not necessarily is because those hosts, true, from 10 to 6, they could have been just eating 300 calories, in which case it would have been the same level of restriction, but it's not necessarily. So that's not even the main point of the article. The main point of the article, because it does talk more about intermittent fasting and it does sort of paint it as a restrictive approach. The main point of the article is that when women engage with these dietary approaches, be it restrictive diets or intermittent fasting, even though the article is kind of linking those together, that men 
can engage in them and the response is different. So that basically when women do these diets, it's seen as an eating disorder, disordered eating, a problem, an issue. When men do it, it's often seen as a way to be successful or a way to optimize their performance. That's really the like the thesis of the article is how culture perceives men versus women engaging in these diets. And I actually think this is something really important to draw attention to, not so much for the takeaway that I take from this article, which the takeaway I took from the article and people can read it for themselves and, you know, see what they feel about it. I felt like it was sort of saying intermittent fasting is disordered eating and that when women do it, it may be seen as disordered eating, but when men do it, it's usually not seen as disordered eating. I disagree with that. I think that intermittent fasting by itself does not mandate a state of restriction or a state of disordered eating. It can, it very easily can, especially if you struggle with eating disorders and especially if you're being restrictive in your fasting window. And then on top of that, and this is what I really want to draw attention to and why I actually like things like this article, because I think it gets people thinking is how men versus women engaging in any dietary approach are treated differently in culture. And I mean, there's a reason for that. It's because women in general are more prone to eating disorders, but I think that does a disservice to both genders because women on the one hand might not have disordered eating, but are more likely going to be, especially if they're doing something like fasting, which may raise some eyebrows, more likely to be quote, accused of disordered eating, even if they're not. And then on the flip side, for men, they might have disordered eating and it won't be seen that way because there's this stigma that, or there's this idea that men don't really have eating disorders the way that women do. And I think that's equally a problem because I've, for men who are struggling with eating disorders, I think, I mean, that can be really, really hard because they're there's such a social stigma around it that I think it can be really hard for men to seek out help if they need help in that regards. So if I were to rewrite this article, <laughs> I would talk about how intermittent fasting is not necessarily, I, I've already said this, but just to say it again, it's not necessarily restriction. It, it's not a synonym to restrictive eating or disordered eating, but it very easily can be And men and women both can struggle with eating disorders. Men and women both cannot as well. So I think we should do the best that we can to look at the individual and lose the the social paradigm and the um, pre-existing ideologies and beliefs and biases that we have surrounding fasting, restriction, eating disorders, and um, just look at the person and what is happening and what are they eating. And is there an eating disorder? And those are my thoughts. That was long. Yeah. I'm always so irritated by articles that hint that intermittent fasting is an eating disorder. You know, I've never felt saner about food than since I've been an intermittent faster. You know, it feels like everything I did before intermittent fasting felt disordered. And now finally I feel undisordered, you know? So I don't really get that feeling. I mean... Like for me, being selective in my food choices makes me feel better. 
Like I feel really good existing within the foods I choose to eat. And, and to a lot of people, I think that looks restrictive and it's concerning to me that that can be seen as like an eating disorder or something. Like one of the quotes in the article. So they're quoting Dr. Cynthia Bullock, and she's the director of the Center for Excellence for Eating Disorders at the University of North Carolina and the director of the Center for Eating Disorders Innovation at the Karolinska Institute. She says, people who have extreme eating behaviors, intermittent fasting, biohacking, like I don't even know, I'm so confused, biohacking, biohacking, extreme pickiness can have variants of anorexia nervosa or avoidant restrictive food intake disorder and go undetected because they are packaged as healthy or productivity promoting. And this is another example, like lumping in the word biohacking with, I'm just very confused how the word biohacking like is an extreme eating behavior. There are just a lot of generalizations. But on top of that, I agree. I think a lot of people do have restrictive eating patterns and present it as what she says, healthier productivity promoting. Like making the generalizations, it just doesn't take in the nuance and it doesn't take into account all the people who feel so, so free with intermittent fasting and finally don't feel restricted and finally are eating you know, all that they want in their eating window, all the nourishing food that they need, all the cellular energy and are finally free from the cravings. And so, and I was thinking about it even more. One of my posts this week on my Instagram, I feel like this whole, this whole thing is a soapbox, but one of my posts this week on my Instagram was, is in reference to the, the conversation that I had with Dr. Will Cole for his book, Intuitive Fasting. And it was, what are the problems with intuitive eating? And I was just quoting what he was saying about how it can be really hard to intuitively eat with our modern diet and our modern health conditions and our blood sugar and our inflammation. And sometimes people just can't healthily, depending on your type and your body and your health and your mindset, it might not be possible for them to quote intuitively, moderately engage with certain foods. And it might actually be easier and healthier to completely avoid the foods that aren't working for them. And I got a lot of comments. Can I jump in on that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know you've heard me talk about this before, but I was doing, I don't know if you remember though, I was doing intuitive eating big time. I read all the books and this is prior to intermittent fasting. That's what I was most recently trying to do when I got up to 210 pounds. But they tell you in all of the intuitive eating literature, don't change what you're eating. Just start listening to your body. And so I was like, all right. They're like, eat what you want, not what you think you should eat. So like, okay. So I continued to eat the standard American diet and all the ultra processed foods. And I was unable to be intuitive within that eating paradigm because my body was still craving nutrients that I wasn't sending it. And so if I asked myself, are you hungry? The answer was always yes, because I seriously was like starved for nutrients. So he's right. The intuitive eating paradigm totally let me down when I did it like that. But once I started doing intermittent fasting, started listening to my body, now I feel like I am an intuitive eater within my window, whereas I could not be an intuitive eater before. So the intuitive eating community just railed on him about, you know, the the fasting is being so unintuitive, but amazingly, that's what unlocked the intuitive part. So it's like, (sighs) he's right. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I think the intuitive eating so much more easily comes 
you know, after you've made those changes and especially something like fasting. Can I read the the quote from him? Yes. And for listeners, you can check out my Instagram for this. But he says, he says, I agree that diet culture is messed up and shaming your way into wellness is not going to happen. But the result then is this rebound opposite other extreme where they suspend all science and logic that you can somehow intuitively eat junk food and somehow that's going to bring about you feeling great in your body. Over 60% of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem. This is most people. This isn't some rare sect of people. So if intuitive eating works for you, that's great, but you're not the majority of the United States. The majority of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem and are somewhere on that inflammation spectrum, more specifically the insulin-resistant inflammation spectrum. The majority of the human race, specifically in the West, are struggling with hangriness and insatiable cravings that drive them towards things that perpetuate their problems. They're going to feel horrible in their own body, and they're actually going to be decreasing their quality of life. So if you really love yourself, you have to ask the question, is that really your intuition? The reality is it's not going to bring about health. If it works for you, keep on doing it. But many people are not served by broad sweeping over generalized statements where they're romanticizing junk food and calling it self-love. Feeding chronic disease isn't self-love. It's actually metabolic problems. So that's part of the conversation that I wanted to have in the book, Intuitive Fasting. I just think it's a really, really wonderful, nuanced conversation. And I think this this article here is tapping into this dialogue where, you know, people who feel like they need to change their food and be, quote, restrictive in their food choices, you know, that that's leading to freedom and metabolic flexibility ultimately, but not necessarily, I don't know. Well, There's a fine line, you know, have you ever read anything by Dr. Stephen Bratman? No. He's the guy who invented the terminology orthorexia. And that's the fear of eating certain things. And I actually dug into this in Cleanish, now available for pre-order, because, you know, I'm talking about eating mostly clean. And one of the biggest criticisms of the clean eating movement in general is that it leads people to develop orthorexia or fear of food. And so I wanted to confront that right on and explain there's a difference between, you know, eating for health versus orthorexia, fear of eating. And he does a great job talking about it. He actually, Dr. Bratman in his book, explains his own descent into orthorexia and how it was the health food movement that got him there and how he came out of it. And it's just a very interesting story. You know, there's a fine line sometimes. You know, you want to eat for health, but not be paralyzed with fear about food. You know, we went to a seafood buffet last week. (laughs) It was totally not what I normally eat. Like, everything was fried. And I know those oils aren't good, but I ate them. And I wasn't scared of them, but I, you know, I, I realized I wouldn't feel my best. I didn't feel my best the next day. And now I'm really glad to be eating at home, you know, here at the condo. But, but even if I just said no to eating those fried foods, that would have been okay, too to say, you know what, I don't want to feel like that, so I'm not going to eat that. And it's just a matter of, it, he talks a lot, but there's like a self-test you can do to see if you might have some of the the characteristics. It's not a recognized eating disorder yet, orthorexia, but it's it's a proposed eating disorder. So if you if you find yourself, you know, this is for listeners, feeling like you're going down that rabbit hole of like, I can only have celery juice and sunflower seeds, and gum, then, you know, maybe, you know, you want to check out that, that self-test and see. Yeah. I reread the conclusion. I get now what they're proposing. They're proposing that 
if people saw men as having eating disorders more than fasting, it sounds like they think that because men aren't seen as having eating disorders in society, that intermittent fasting maintains all of its perceived benefits because men are doing it and we don't see anything wrong with it. And and basically they're saying that if men were seen as having eating disorders, then fasting in general would probably be seen as an eating disorder regardless. That's why that article irritated me so much, because it seems to be very preachy about, and it it shares all these really extreme examples and paints the picture of intermittent fasting as an eating disorder, but we glamorize it because they're men. And that's the part that makes me so frustrated, because anyone who has an eating disorder is going to misuse all the tools. Fasting is a tool, you know. Colonics are a tool. I mean, I'm not, that's not what I use, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. All of the tools, you know, taking a laxative, any tool that is actually a living tool can be abused. Eating carrots is a tool, you know, for a healthy food. But if you only eat carrots and you only eat like three carrots a day, that's an eating disorder. But that doesn't mean carrots are an eating disorder. So that's an amazing way of putting it. So, yeah. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. 
It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted. And it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. It's frustrating to see the lack of nuance in all of this. And a topic that clearly begs nuance. Absolutely. So let's shift into the question from Heather. And the topic is night shift nurse. And this this dovetails in with what Jenny said about her shifts changing and being hard and to keep a daily routine. So Heather says, hey, Jen and Melanie, I've been listening to you ladies for a while now off and on. I recently started working 12-hour night shifts on weekends. I'm struggling with figuring out a schedule because I sleep all day and work all night on the weekends. The transition is what I'm struggling with trying to figure out. Do you have any advice, tips, or tricks Thanks so much, Heather. All right. So this is a great question from Heather. And so we've had episodes before on night shifts, but I was just thinking through her schedule. So I'm I'm assuming she works during the weekdays, during the day, and then, you know, goes to sleep. And then it sounds like on the weekends, I'm guessing she probably goes in at, you know, like 6 p.m. or something and works until 6 a.m. ish, something like that. One suggestion I had, and I'm really curious, Jen, if you have like go-to suggestions of people have shared, but if you're doing a one meal a day schedule, could you always have your one meal a day as dinner, for example? And so on weekdays, you're just having dinner after work and then going to bed. And then when you switch to the night schedule, you have your dinner before work and then go to work and then come back and sleep and then wake up and eat and then go into work if if you don't mind working on a full stomach. Like some people prefer working on an empty stomach, but it might be possible that you literally would not really have to change your eating window. It's just that the working and sleeping would change around a little. Another thing you could do is do your fasting during the the weekdays like normally and just for the weekends, you know, some people don't do intermittent fasting like every single day. So the weekends just be more lax and just eat when you're hungry and, you know, don't stress about it too much emotionally or mentally. And then just, you know, get back into the routine of things during the weekdays. Jen, do you have suggestions? Well, gosh, I wish I had my friend Sherry who (laughs) co-hosts Life Lessons with me because this is exactly what she does. She has 12-hour night shifts on weekends. So Yes, it works in healthcare. So let me try it out. This is what I, I'm pretty sure this is what Sherry does. So during the week when she's not working the shifts, she eats probably, she she does a loose one meal a day, usually snacking a meal kind of a thing. So she'll open her window mid-afternoon and then 
eat and then have like a, a dinner kind of a thing, closes her window. So snack and a meal, probably four, four hour window, five hour window, something like that. Then when she goes into work on the weekend, she doesn't eat at her normal time that day, but she delays and she eats overnight, like later in the shift. So she'll just have a longer fast. Oh, during the shift. Yeah. So she just has like a longer fast when she gets off work. I mean, she eats during work at some point. She'll take something with her and eat it later into her shift. And then she comes home and goes to bed. And then when she wakes up, goes. So she just basically ends up. Then so she has like her her work fasting schedule, and she just has that one longer fast as she transitions. So it's actually sort of similar to what I said, but she pushes back the meal a little bit. Yeah, she pushes back that first day that she has the night shift. Oh yay! I'm excited. That's similar to what I suggested. But she doesn't eat before she goes to work. She pushes it later, so she has just a little bit of a longer fast. Okay, gotcha. But she makes it work for her. That might not be what works for Heather. So you've got to figure out what feels right to you. And when you choose to eat, there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. What I would probably do if it was me, because I know myself, I know what I would probably do. I would be doing my dinner every night. And then the first night shift, I would probably do the whole shift fasted. And then I would eat once I got back and I would sleep. And I would eat after the next shift and sleep. And then I would go back to my dinner routine during the weekdays. I just don't know. I would not be good at at working a night shift because I I would not be able to stay awake that long. I don't know how all of y'all do it. Everyone who does the night shift, I admire you. I just, I am no good without, and I get so sleepy. Like that was one thing when I was here with my family because I stayed up later every night, but I still woke up bright and early in the beach house. In the summer, that appears to be 6 a.m. because that's when the sun comes up and I can see it through the blinds. So every day I woke up at 6 a.m., no, no matter how late we stayed up the night before talking. See, this is why, you know, because me and my night person, like this is why my example I just gave, I, I, I could do that. Like I would get so alert during the night shift. And if I were to eat, then I would get really tired. So I would have to, I'd have to eat after. Actually, now that I think about it, sometimes when I was doing extra work, in LA after I graduated, it would be the situation because sometimes we'd have night shoots. And on those days, you know, I'd get back at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. I never would eat. I would just eat when I got back. And then I would just reset to, if I got back at like 6 a.m., I would eat and then I would sleep and then I would still eat my normal dinner that night. And that would get me back into the normal routine. So it was like a longer fast, but then it got compensated for in a way because I would eat much sooner. So one night was longer, the next was shorter. Yeah, exactly. I think we have time for one more. Yes. All right. So we have a question from Eric. The subject is first week of IF. And Eric says, your podcast has been so helpful. Thank you. This may be a routine question. If so, I apologize. I'm 45, 6'2", and 195 pounds. I started IF this week and am shrinking my window to five hours. I noticed that by the 15th hour, I start to get lightheaded, tingle sensation, and hangry. Will my tolerance increase over time? I'm worried I won't be as kind at home as I am when I am on my best behavior at the office when feeling hangry. The answer is yes. <laughs> Your tolerance will increase over time. You know, even if we knew that this was not his first week, I, you know, you can tell just from the, by the 15th hour, the way he's starting to feel. Yep. 
your body is learning how to do something new and you're not fat adapted yet, once you get to that point, you still might have a little wave of hunger at some point in the morning, but it'll it'll come and go very quickly. This is totally normal for the adjustment period, Eric. And so by the time you hear this, you're probably going to be already over that. You'll be, have answered it yourself by the fact that you feel better, but totally normal at first. I have a question because I know in the past there have been situations I feel like where people have said that they feel dizzy or something and you've said to eat. And he mentions like lightheaded. Well, okay. If you feel shaky or nauseous, then go ahead and eat. I don't know what he means by a tingle sensation. I've never heard that before. I don't know what that is. If you feel shaky or nauseous, don't push through that. Go ahead and eat. That's your body, you know, signaling that your blood sugar is low. You probably don't push through lightheaded. I was just saying, yes, it gets better. Okay. Okay. I was just trying to clarify. As you adjust, like you will not feel shaky and nauseous or lightheaded once your body adjusts. As long as you're fast and clean, you shouldn't have those feelings. It does get better. But yeah, you don't want to push through a low blood sugar, you know, shakiness kind of a thing. But I don't ever get those. I mean, do you? Do you ever feel shaky or nauseous or anything? Mm -mm. Nauseous? I started getting nauseous, but it was not related to the fasting. It was... A lot of other factors, I think. But yes, in any case, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes for today's episode, which will be super important because I feel like we did, we talked about a lot of things. Those will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode Two two two. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. Jen is Jen Stevens. I am Melanie Avalon. And I think that is all the things. Can I tell you one quick thing before we go? No. <laughs> Sorry, that was a. I was joking. Yes, please tell me. Can I give you an update on my cottage cheese adventures? Oh yeah, how's that going? I make it every day. And I've been trying all different milks, like basically all the possible fat-free organic milks that you can find. Like, what do you mean? Like Organic Valley. Oh, you mean the brands. I was trying to worry wonder if you were talking about like dairy milk versus almond milk. And I wouldn't think those others would work. Yeah, they don't. So like, like Organic Valley has like a grass milk. There's like a grass milk. There's like a lactose-free milk. There's like the normal. Apparently, fun fact, apparently, did you know, Jen? That the milk that is in the the cartons is usually ultra pasteurized, but the ones in the like the gallons, like the plastic, is usually just pasteurized. Well, no, I actually did not know that. Yes, and so apparently the just pasteurized works better, but I can't find the fat free pasture raised in a gallon. So this is the conundrum that I'm in. But last night, what I tried. I read that when you make it, it separates it into the casing and the whey, and the casing is the curds, and the whey is the whey, like the liquid. And I was reading that you could, A, turn the whey into ricotta. I haven't tried that yet. And or B, turn it into, have you heard of brown cheese? Brown? Like the color brown? Yeah. Okay, wait, it's also called. No, I have not heard of brown cheese. It's also called, I have no idea how you say this. G-J-E-T-O-S-T. No, uh-uh. I don't know how to say that. That sounds German. 
It's Norwegian. Okay. So I tried to make it last night. I don't know if it really worked. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's in the fridge right now. But I, oh my goodness, Jen, it tasted like honey. I was shocked. It was shocking. It tastes like caramel, like caramel honey. The amount of sugar, my heart like jumped through the roof. I was just like, I can't believe there's this much sugar in milk. Like if you reduce it, it was shocking. It also made me realize that you could bake like really intense desserts and not even need a drop of like refined sugar because this, I don't know. I'm like, I'm in shock how that way transformed. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Experiments in the dairy and cheese world. (laughs) That's fun. You make your bread. I make my cottage cheese. Absolutely. So anything else from you before we go? Nope. I don't think so. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.